Yeah. So we will we'll be expeditious here, but it is good to see everybody and uh, glad that you guys are here tonight. We're in First Timothy chapter one, of course. We we've uh, made our way. Uh, by the way, I think we have some since we have a few new folks here. Uh, let me get get you the handout and. Um, Oh, you know what, Amy? I think I probably don't have enough. I've got two handouts, so I may need a. Who does not have a handout? Let's start there. I know Doug. So we need. Oh, we got. Let me, Amy. Can you run like a couple more of these? Huh? The copier. You can just run a copy. Or Steve. Steve, you know how to do all that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So Pam, here you go. I'm going to give you this. You're welcome. <clears throat> All right. So uh, before we get into praying tonight and the prayer pieces, uh, we're talking about building people who build churches and in and specifically individual discipleship. And uh, we've been dealing with our relationship with the, the lost, our relationship with the lost. And last week when we got together, um, that starts with our relationship to the Lord. We talked about that, how, it, uh, how our relationship with the Lord provides authority. And we saw that one is not fit to be in authority unless they are under authority. I believe Watchman Nee makes that point pretty loud and clear in his uh, book, Spiritual Authority. Uh, and then we talked about how our relationship with the Lord, not only does it produce authority, it produces authenticity. And so our thesis for that was unfeigned faith produces undeniable fruit. Right? He comes to Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, uh, I, I need you to have unfeigned faith like your grandma and your mom. And, uh, well, Timothy was the fruit of that, right? So uh, unfeigned faith produces undeniable fruit. Now, these are just points of review. And then we saw that our relationship with the Lord protects us from the adversary. And, and so uh, we saw that biblical fellowships, fellowship keeps us from being shipwrecked. At shipwrecked, I should say, and so, and so we saw also. Uh, not only do we have a relationship with the Lord, we have a relationship with the law, and this took us a little further into First Timothy chapter one, uh, before we got to verse eleven, and and he deals with the law and Timothy's relationship not just to the Lord but to the law, and we saw then in that teaching that uh, our relationship with the law is to be loving because the law was fulfilled in Christ. And then we saw that uh, it is to be lawful, right? He talks about using the law lawfully, but not to misuse the law. And so we saw that we need to, our relationship with the law uh, is to be lawful because the law is still useful in leading sinners to Christ. And we talked about how you can use the law to lead people to Christ. Uh, Brother Doug this morning made sure people knew they were sinners, right, in the, in the gospel invitation. That's what the law does is it helps you realize that, that measuring stick is is up here, and we all fall short. So that we can see the law giver is also the law fulfiller, and be saved. Which brings us to our relationship with the law is to be liberating because of the illumination of the glorious gospel. So in verse ten, uh, we see that, that Paul says, "For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the." 
blessed God, which is committed to my trust, right? So that glorious gospel is where all that discussion of the law is going because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so it's to be a liberating, uh, we're not to leave people under the law, we're to liberate them from the law through Jesus Christ. Okay, so that brings us to verse uh, 11 through 20. So let's just pick up the text, read it, and we'll pray, and uh, we will get into finishing our outline where we left off. So in verse 11, we've already read it, and he talks about this glorious gospel, the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. Verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who was an who enabled me who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So today, uh, in addiction, we talk about people having enablers, right? Uh, This person enables me, and and that's an unhealthy relationship. But once you get in Christ, you have a healthy relationship that enables you. And that enables you uh, to be committed uh, to to putting us in the ministry, right? It enables us to minister. So verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelievably. And the grace of our Lord of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that uh, thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Heavenly Father, as we look at the text this uh, evening, we pray a blessing on the reading, the hearing of your word, the application, and Lord, the lifting of it to the throne of God. As we talked about this morning, entering into your presence, Lord, we get to come before your throne, we get to have rewards, and we get to see you judge justly as you open those seals. And Lord, may we be serious about uh, the word of God tonight and about praying fervently and effectually, knowing that it availeth much. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, last week when we got together uh, in the outline, a lot of this has been covered. So we saw in point one, uh, we are to be fruitful soul winners. And we saw that in verses 11 through 17, how the loss should be the fruit of a changed life. And uh, that's and it is. Uh, we talked about the conjunction and is a conjunction that ties us to the previous discussion of the glorious gospel. In verse 11, we saw the loss uh, need to see an attitude of gratitude in verse 12. And, uh, and, uh, and so we discussed that. I won't get into all the details of that. And how the lost, point three there, need to see the evidence of Christ's power in our lives, right? So point A, the lost should see the fruit of a changed life. Point one is conjunction. Point two is attitude. Um, and point three is the lost need to see the evidence of Christ's power in our lives. And we saw... Uh, point A, Christ Jesus, our Lord, enables me. We talked about that just a moment ago when we read it. He enables me, right? He puts us in, in the gospel. And then he not only enables us, but in point B, he counts, uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, counted me faithful. So he gives us the ability, and then he, and he keeps count, right? He gives us, he credits us for what he does in our lives. And point C, Christ Jesus our Lord put me into the ministry. So he enabled me, he counted me, and he put me into the ministry. He enabled me, he counted me faithful. Uh, right, and he imputed his righteousness to us. He counted us faithful, and then he put us right, put me into the ministry. That's what Paul is saying there. So, point four: the lost need to see the evidence of Christ's power over our sinful flesh. 
right? And Paul goes through that list. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was injurious. But, of course, the Lord changed his life. And we talked about his testimony in Acts chapter 26 uh, last week and uh, had a good time discussing that. And that brought us to point B, which is almost where we left off, and and that is that the lost need to see grace, uh, the grace of Christ Jesus in our lives. In verse 14 there, Paul says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant uh, with uh, faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So um, he starts off in 1 Timothy 14, tying us back to the previous verses concerning the changed life resulting from the previous text, in 1 Timothy 1.11, back in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Right, You skip down to verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which was in Christ Jesus. He gave him the gospel, he gave him faith and love, and, uh, and it was exceeding abundant grace with faith and love. And so I won't go back through all the details of that, but that's where we left off last week talking about our salvation and our obedience to Christ after. Because not everybody who has received the Word of God has continued steadfastly. Some have swerved, some have been shipwrecked, as uh, Paul mentions uh, in the text. So that leads us to point C and where we haven't been. So this is ground left untrod. The lost need to see the light of the glorious gospel uh, in us. Right? The, the lost need to see the light of the glorious gospel in us. So in verse 15 he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul makes it simple for those who, that are in the slow class, right? So some of us are in the slow class, and you got to be, as uh, Alan Shelby says, be kind and rewind, right? So we got to go back and uh, and look at that all over again. And he's saying, okay, so uh, this is a faithful saying, right? Uh, the, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, in whom I am chief. So this is one of the four faithful sayings in the uh, pastoral epistles. Uh, you'll find another one in First Timothy four and verse nine, First Timothy four nine. Uh, where Paul says we are to exercise ourselves in godliness. He says bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Now bodily exercise is profitable, but not as much as godliness. Right? That's what he's saying in, in First Peter or First Timothy four nine. That's the second um, faithful saying that you find in the pastoral epistles. The the third one is in Second Timothy two eleven. We are to be sure of the resurrection of the saints. He says if we shall be dead with him, we shall also live with him. This is a faithful saying. If we're dead with him, we shall also live with him. Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse 11. So that'll be our third faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. So that's the third he's dropping on Timothy. And the fourth is actually to another disciple. Who's his other disciple like Timothy? Titus, Titus right? Yeah, Titus 3.8. So you could have guessed that. And, and there he's saying, those saved by grace are saved unto good works. It's a faithful saying. He that has believed in God would be uh, careful to maintain good works, right? So godliness, uh, the uh, understanding the assurance of the resurrection, and then the good works, right? And so we're not saved by good works. We know that, but we're saved unto good works, right? So there's good works that God. That's a faithful saying, right? That we continue in good works, that we are we maintain good works. So main, you guys know what maintenance is. That takes you got to have tools. That's why we disciple, right? It's not we equip people. Uh, we call it equip. It's edify in the book of Ephesians chapter two. We equip people. We give them the tools. Why? So that they can do maintenance, right? You, once you buy a house. 
It's interesting. You, your garage may be empty when you buy a house, but it won't be 20 years later, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, you're going to have all kinds of things you've collected. Why? Because you got to do maintenance. I just, I'm so excited. I finally bought my first chainsaw. And uh, I, it wasn't under good circumstances. I had a tree fall down in my front lawn. And uh, and I'm not, I can't, it didn't. Praise God. It fell, the, it fell. I mean, it couldn't have fallen, I don't think, any better. It fell straight, and it didn't even hit the driveway. It didn't hit anything. Right in the lawn, straight to the east. Awesome. But I couldn't leave it there. I mean, it's just this huge round thing laying in my lawn. It's I saw all the people come by to pick up their kids, you know, and I'm like, Amy's like, well, you're busy this week. Just just wait till next week. And I'm like, I can't, Amy. I, I just got to take care of this. So I've always wanted a chainsaw, and uh, and I and I could have used one around the house, but I never went out and bought one because you know those are expensive. And so because you know pruning a tree, I can just saw it off. I can I can do something else. Um, I can ha- I got an axe. I know how to use an axe. And so this was like a tree. I'm like, I got a whole tree laying here. Let me see. I can call Jason McGuire. Does he have a saw? Who, who do I know has a saw? You know, I've got a meeting. i got to go get a saw right now. So I did. I went and got my saw. Got the cheapest, you know, gas-powered saw I could find. I'd have had that tree cut up. Not No joke. If I would have learned how to start the saw right, it would have been caught up. It would have been <laughs> 15 minutes after I got home, it would have been cut up. But because I flooded my brand-new saw, um, it took me about an hour and 15 minutes to cut that tree up because it took me an hour to get my saw started. And I had to take out the spark plug and, uh, you know, crank it 20 times, clear it out, put my spark plug back in. Boom! And I was ready to go. And it was kind of cool, though. Elizabeth came home, and she sees her dad out there chopping the tree, and she's like, First of all, she walks right up to me while I'm chopping. I'm like, honey, get back. I could cut your arm off. This is dangerous. And she's like, are you a lumberjack, Dad? I didn't know you could use a saw. Like, there's a lot of things you don't know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but I used to cut wood all the time. So it was kind of cool. When I was a kid, my dad and I used to go out in the woods. So it's kind of neat. I used to, actually, I used to chop a lot of wood. I used to split a lot of logs and all that stuff. So it was kind of cool to have my own chainsaw finally. I felt like I was connecting with my dad in heaven. I'm like, Dad, I'm, I'm using the saw. Now, this saw is about this big. I don't think I could do much more than prune with it. But, uh, but anyway, it, was, uh, it, was, it worked out. I felt like a man. Now it's in my garage, and I probably won't pick it up again for another 15 years. But uh, anyway, what am I saying about that? I don't know. No, is that last point about maintaining good works. Um, it's important. That's a faithful saying. So we have these faithful sayings, and, and we continue to build. Uh, the lost uh, need to see the light of the glorious gospel in us. And that happens as we continue. To, we don't just get saved, right? Because we know from 1 Corinthians 8, baby Christians are carnal. They have to grow and continue to see the work, right? And it's like it's just like your house, right? If you don't maintain it, it starts to show after a while. It starts to, it starts to dilapidate. So we get equipped so we can keep on working, so we can keep on maintaining those good works, and people can continue to see the glorious gospel shining in our lives. So point three, the bottom line is, is that Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, right? This is why Jesus came. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Uh, I'm going to read these verses for time's sake because I know you guys are ready to go here in a minute. So Matthew 121, I normally would have your turn there, but you can turn there, but I'm going to read them for time's sake. Matthew 121, and it shall, uh, and he, and she shall bring forth a son, you know this verse, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know, I mean, it's implied in Jesus' name. He's gonna. He's the Savior. 
in Hebrew. Uh, that's what Joshua is. He's a savior, and so he is. He is. He came to save sinners. That's why he came to this earth. The gospel starts off with the reality of Christ's purpose for entering the world in First Corinthians fifteen three. Uh, you know, not to solve hunger, not to fix political problems, or to stop war. Right, he came to save sinners, and in doing so, he fixes all the other problems. But in First Corinthians fifteen three, where the gospel is defined, there he says, "For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures." So, sinners uh, means the entire world, right? The entire human race. For those who may espouse uh, a limited atonement, uh, they have to understand that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the elect; he died for the sins of the world. And so, First uh, John two two says, "And he." is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world that's what first john 2 22 says so he is the solution for everybody right now his atonement isn't limited to just those who received it uh, but it is effective upon those who receive it for sure so uh, that doesn't violate god's sovereignty for all those who choose to deny the glorious gospel will stand at the great white throne judgment with the blood of the lord jesus christ on their hands as they justify themselves before a just and holy god who loved them and sent his son to die on the cross for them which really touches a little bit on what uh, doug was saying uh, this morning in revelation chapter five as those seals are being opened opened in the tribulation period right he's at that point judging the kingdom of heaven so um so that is exactly how it goes down those that don't receive christ in any dispensation will be uh, condemned at the great white throne judgment so uh, his atonement is not wasted in fact it is the ironclad judgment that will seal their eternal damnation in the lake of fire because god is a just god so god is not pleased to do this uh, <clears throat> as far as casting people into hell he, he'd prefer that they don't and he demonstrated that in the fact that he sent his only begotten son to save sinners. So he loves the world and has judged us all in unbelief that we might obtain salvation through faith in Christ alone. So he's made the way so simple that no one can miss it if they're willing to look. Right? They don't have to keep 600 and some laws of the Old Testament anymore because Jesus, who is the lawgiver, Shiloh came forth from Judah and he has kept the law. So now all we have to do is believe in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gets us, he gets us in. He is the way, the truth, and life. He's the door. And I know you guys know that, but that's good stuff. Because that glorious gospel, it's so simple, but it's it's amazingly, it's magnificent, it's illuminous, illuminating. So point four, the bottom line that Jesus came to this world to, is, is that Jesus came to this world to save sinners reminds us that without Christ, we are, uh, are the bottom of the barrel. So look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But I wasn't that bad. But that is not what Paul says, right? I mean, now he, we know in Second Corinthians, he says, "Hey, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews." I mean, he was forced. He was. They were questioning his authority. They were questioning his credentials. I mean, he was very. Uh, he was very. Um, Qualified, right, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But when it comes to his righteousness and his standing before God, according to the law, he says, "I was blameless," right? But touching the law, blameless. But when he comes to his standing before a holy God, the glorious gospel, I'm a chief of sinners, right? I, he says, "Of whom I am chief," right? He ha, he's like, man, I am the I am I'm a low life. I'm at the bottom of the barrel compared to Christ. And so he had a proper perspective of what his life is without Christ. But with Christ, man, it's amazing. So let me try to bust into, as far as I can, I'll try to stop here in the next few minutes. Hopefully I can get through the next point, too. 
and then we'll just pull up there for time's sake. But point two, so we are to be faithful warriors of God's word. So our relationship with the lost, number one, we're fruitful winners of souls. Number two, we're to be faithful warriors of God's word. So this is appropriate. Doug's here tonight. He's a warrior. And uh, you see in verses 16 through 19, Paul starts to flip the script a little bit. And, of course, we know where he's going with Timothy. He is He's trying to get this uh, young man to be ready for the warfare that he's going to be engaged. And we know uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and the history of the church teaches that uh, in Ephesus, Timothy ended up dying a martyr's death. Again, like we talked about this morning. So let's just look at what he says to Timothy, his son in the Lord. He says, how be it for this cause, right? There is a cause. Like David went to war for a cause. Is there not a cause? How be it for this cause? What cause is it? The glorious gospel, right? This is the cause. There is a cause. It's the glorious gospel of Christ. He says, for this cause, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he goes on to say, for this, now he changes it, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. And so we're going to hold up on Hymenius and, and Alexander for a minute and just talk about this faithful warrior business. We are to be faithful warriors to God's word. So how be it? Point A. How be it? There is a price to being a faithful witness, right? There's a price to being a faithful witness. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 16. There's a price, right? For this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Well, what's that longsuffering about? Well, he had to pay the price, right, of his office, of his call. He entered into the sufferings of Christ, and uh, that's a privilege and an honor, right? He, he's, it was an honor to serve. And so he entered into the sufferings of Christ. Paul, along with all the apostles and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer, right? And the point one is suffered, is, by the way, the word there. Second Timothy 3.12, Yea, all and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So there's a price to being a faithful witness. And Paul, along with all the apostles and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, they suffered now, that's not popular today, but man, that's something that we need to be engaging in. Not going out looking for a fight, but if we're godly, right, if we're serious about the glorious gospel, suffering's going to find us, isn't it? It's going gonna, it's gonna to find our address. And instead of running from it, we need to embrace it, right? We need to say, hey, you called me to it, you'll get me through it. And uh, by God's grace, the glorious gospel will be magnified. So God will speak to us about suffering for the gospel uh, in the next sessions as we get. I'm going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But you know what? When we see, we talk about Stephanie Wesco's, and God in this church has put people in our midst to help us learn how to suffer. And I call on it often, right? You think, I think I'm having a bad day. I think about our sister Stephanie, right? That's a bad day. And then a bad set of circumstances, raising eight kids on her own and all of that. There's a lot there. I think about our brother Pradeep. I think about Christodos, Erla. I think about, I mean, I got so many brothers we could just call on right now. And you spend, Jeff knows, Jeff's been there, you've been there, Steve. We could all give tests of, how many of you have been to India? I don't know. So you two and me, you've been to India? Man. So you get, you hang around with those brothers, right? And after a while, you're like, I don't have any problems. <laughs> I'm doing fine. We've been blessed beyond measure. 
right? And so there's something about the suffering saint, and they have the most incredible, gracious spirit. They'll give you, you know, they don't have two nickels to rub together. They don't have two pennies to rub together, and yet they're they're treating us like we're kings. It's crazy. The hospitality, the love, the joy that they have, uh, there's a lot we can learn. We can learn how to suffer, but not just suffer like a martyr in the sense that, that we actually use that wrong, but the martyrs usually did that willingly, right? They call on the grace of God. We don't want to suffer as those that act like we have no hope. We don't want to suffer as those that don't have a glorious gospel, right? Uh, we need to, we need like we just heard this morning, man. It needs we need to be worthy. We need to understand it's worthy of our suffering, and our very best suffering, right, is just a is nothing compared to the suffering of Christ and His goodness. So Paul is pointing out that he has been called to be an example of how to suffer as a Christian. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but there's been times in my life when I know that I'm suffering, and I know that I'm being watched. Has that ever happened to you before? Where you know that your suffering is on display. And you know that you can't drop the suffering ball, so to speak. And uh, and you know that suffering is good for you. So the best suffering in my life is when I've been aware of it. There's other times when I've suffered where I don't feel so good about it, um, if that makes any sense. But uh, turn over. We're going to have to turn to this because this is too much to just read. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> And uh, we're going to look at this passage here, Second Corinthians 1, we're going to look at verse 3. Paul's over here writing his introduction to the Corinthians. Now, it's the second epistle of the Corinthians, but we know from the text in the book of Corinthians, this is third epistle total. We, know, we don't have the other one, but in verse 3 it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation. Why? that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So it tells us why we have to we get the comfort is so we can comfort others. There's trouble so we can get the comfort and we get comforted so we can help others. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So he's able to supply our need. Verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Right? So Paul is saying, hey, listen, we're willing to suffer because we know it's going to help you suffer. Right? It's going to help you get comfort. We get more comfort. The more we suffer, the more comfort we get, which means the more comfort you get when you suffer. Because we get to share not only in the sufferings, right? We don't just enter into Christ's sufferings, but we enter into his comfortings. We literally have the comforter, the Holy Ghost in us. So we get to experience the divine comfort of God when we enter into the sufferings. It's amazing. And so I know when my dad died, I, that's the time I'm thinking of when I had a tangible comforting like this, and I knew people were watching. And, uh, man, God brought he, he brought it through. You're like, how did you do your dad's funeral? I don't know. I just did it. It wasn't because I wasn't hurting. It wasn't because I wasn't suffering. It was just like grace, you know, grace. It's comfort so that I could comfort others, right? And that's what it's all about. Uh, there's been other sufferings that I don't feel so good about, but praise the Lord. Colossians 1.24 says, Now, uh, uh, who, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for the body's sake. So I wasn't just say, saying that the other, uh, a few minutes ago when I said Paul was filling up the sufferings of Christ. He says that in Colossians 1.24. For his body's sake, which is the church. So what's Paul saying? He's like, hey, I've got God's got a certain amount of suffering set aside for me. 
Why is that? Why do you think God would have us set aside some suffering for us? The text goes on to say, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Why would God call us to suffer? Man, I made Steve mad and he's left. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think to, I think also to make himself available through us. Yeah, and to, and to help us. I, ultimately, we talked about this morning, I think as well, as it, if we suffer well, which we don't always suffer well, I feel bad about that, I don't think I always suffer well, then there's a crown of rejoicing that we'll be able to cast at his feet. Yes, ma'am. And I asked Bobby Blaine this week when we were praying for Karen, I said, how has she, you know, it's been, like she said, cancer 11 years. Mm. How does she do it? And does she, you know, I said, why has God let her, you know, suffer so long? And she said, as many people who've come into Karen's life and her treatment and stuff, she's led others with cancer to Christ, and, and they have been amazed at how God has helped her through this suffering of cancer. So yeah. 11 years of that. She's drawn closer to Christ, and others have drawn, drawn, yeah, because she wasn't as close to Christ before cancer. And now others are in Christ because of her cancer. That's a good example. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Keeps us on the road of righteousness, doesn't it? Yeah, suffering's, you know, we hate to say it, but sometimes it's good for us. It's harder to handle success than failure, too, by the way. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a blessing. It helps us stay focused on the Lord. Amen, like Doug was saying. So Paul sets a pattern for us in the, this dispensation. In verse 16, that's really what he's talking about in our text in 1 Timothy, is he's setting a pattern. Uh, he attained mercy uh, so you know that we should hereafter believe on him unto life everlasting those that the church over the last centuries you know what most of the church has what suffered you know uh, he set a pattern for the church age what Paul endured was it's normal it's the normal Christian life it's only in America in the last 30 40 years that we think it's not right I mean but throughout the last 2,000 years <clears throat> that has been the normal Christian life I think we must be having some internet concerns here. All right, so uh, Paul shows us that we praise uh, God even if it promotes uh, persecution in verse 17. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So no matter what, right, uh, we are going to praise God. So Paul shows us that we praise God even if it promotes persecution now paul ascribes greatness to god regardless of what anyone else thinks about it he doesn't care right he understands caesar uh could have his head in rome uh, for the very words that he's speaking because there's no other god than caesar but there is it's the god of, of abraham isaac and jacob and so it is the lord jesus christ so the king eternal the herodians and domitian and nero uh, nor most of the principalities on the earth at this present time would prefer to acknowledge the authority of the one true king. Ron was just singing about that today. Paul will have us pray for them uh, in the next chapter, right? Pray for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Uh, he says, The king eternal, immortal, right, having no principle or alteration of corruption, exempt from death, invisible, not seen by the human eye, the only wise God. All other gods are dumb idols. And so that's offensive to the lost. Uh, Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So we might as well get started on glorifying God now because eternity has began for us. 
right? So eternity's gone. It's on like Donkey Kong. We don't have to wait till we die. We're already there. It's just a matter of getting a new body. So if you want to get into real battle, start praising and glorifying God, and the adversary will take notice. Huh. That is so weird. So the adversary is going to take notice if we get into uh, really glorifying God. And so point C, and we're almost there. Uh, Paul charges Timothy to own the ministry mandate, right? That's the charge. Uh, he, he, he says, man, Timothy, you need to own the ministry mandate. We read that in verses 18 and 19. So Paul reminds Timothy of his ordination in verse 14 of chapter 4, which you don't see that yet. But uh, if, if you look over in chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 14, uh, he says over there, and neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So he's like, hey, Paul or Timothy, don't forget about uh, your ordination, right? You've been ordered into this. You are a soldier. You've been charged, accompanied with Timothy's gift for ministry. Uh, that's what Paul was admonishing him to give in attendance to reading and exhortation in verse 13 of chapter 4. And Paul was to be a ready soldier, right? A captain in God's army. So Paul's purpose here is to remind Timothy of his calling and his equipping, right? So he's like, hey, Timothy, I'm going to charge you. I, I committed unto thee, uh, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might as war a good warfare you are going into battle son you need to be ready as a warrior so point two the they charge the the charge is given that we might war a good warfare that should be thee not the, they the charge is given that we might war a good warfare in first corinthians 9 7 paul said who goeth a warfare at any time of his own charges it's expensive to go to war right uh, who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Right? Who's not going to get a, um, you know, who's not going to uh, <clears throat> take of the fruit of the labor, so to speak? And so th- this charge, the charge implies that Paul, uh, I'm sorry, this charge implies what Paul has outlined in First Timothy one three through five, plus. Or what is about to be set forth in the remaining chapters. So Paul uses military terminology because Tim- Timothy will be in spiritual combat, and this is the weapon in which he will win the victory. Starting with the gospel, right, that ushers in the victory, and then establishing the structure of the local New Testament church, the forces of hell will stop at nothing to corrupt the word of God and the church of God. Right, And so the devil wants to stop the forward progress, but he's going to have to stay faithful to the charge. So you will note that Timothy is to be found uh, holding faith. right? And Timothy, and Titus, I should say, rather, in Titus 1.9, Paul instructed Titus, he says, "...holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may uh, be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and to convince the gainsayers." Right, we're to hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. So we need to be ready with the word of God so we don't swerve out of the way and wreck the sh- ship, which is what he's going to be talking about when we get back together next time in verses 19 and 20 uh, with these this fella, Hymenius and Alexander. Those guys were rascals, and uh, they went off the course. But Timothy is his son in the Lord, and he's charging him to stay diligent about the business of uh, spiritual warfare, to stay on track and to stay uh, faithful to his charge and to own the ministry mandate that's been given to him. So what we've covered thus far is our relationship with the lost. Number one, we're to be faithful soul winners. And number two, we're to be faithful warriors for God's word. So soul winners and warriors. Next time we get together, we'll talk about the fearful warnings that God gives about these other fellows, these examples.
examples, these vessels of dishonor, right? They're not vessels of honor, but vessels of dishonor. All right, so that completes the teaching for tonight. And uh, we'll keep working through this outline next time we get together. I'm going to stop this video. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we will see you next week. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, let me turn this recorder off.